It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll get immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, who, by the way, was Nostradamus this week because he had the score almost to a T. He had the Jets winning a close one against the Dallas Cowboys. And guess what? It's exactly what happened. So, Manish, you win a few bucks playing your hunch? <laughs> I did not, uh, unfortunately. I hope that I made a lot of money for a lot of people who would listen to my prediction. And I don't think there are very many people that did. But uh, you could kind of see it being a competitive game for sure but, you know, as the week was uh, you know, rolling along. Only because, to begin with, Dak Prescott wasn't going to have his tackles at full strength, uh, Tyron Smith, you know, his all pro left tackle, Leal Collins, his right tackle, uh, you know, at the very least, uh, those guys were going to be banged up. It turned out uh, neither one of them played, you know, the Jets did get a break when Amari Cooper got that quad injury, uh, early and, uh, their two starting cornerbacks were dealing with hamstring tightness. But, you know, my position, whether it's about the Jets or any other team in the NFL, is that you know, injuries happen. Uh, certainly the Jets, given everything that has unfolded for them from a health perspective in the first month, weren't going to feel sorry for Dallas entering that game. Uh, they didn't care that, you know, key guys might have gotten hurt during that game. Uh, you know, I, I just felt that the boost that Darnold would bring, coupled with some of these issues that Dallas was having, was going to be enough for for the Jets to, to squeak this one out. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how it played out, even though for a while it looked like the Jets were going to win this comfortably. To be fair, Manish, you were not the only one that had this premonition. Anybody that listened to the pregame report podcast on Sunday knows that my brother Craig, who comes on to give his picks and be our betting lines expert since he's a professional poker player and sportsbook gambler, he had the Jets as his lock of the week and he thought that they would win outright, even suggested taking the money line on that game. So if you would have followed Manish's advice or if you would have followed Craig's advice, you could have made some really big money if you would have gone over and placed a wager at mybookie.ag. And the good news is you can still do that this week. You can listen to Manish's advice later in the show. You can listen to what Craig's going to have to say on Sunday morning. You can go over to mybookie.ag and sign up. And when you do, if you use the promo code OVERTIME, you will get your first deposit doubled. That's right. They will match your first deposit when you use the promo code OVERTIME over at mybookie.ag. Plus, you can bet on all the other games around the league and prop bets for the Jets game, including who will throw more touchdowns, Sam Darnold or Tom Brady. 
Will Le'Veon Bell have his first 100-yard game of the season? And will Bill Belichick get caught cheating in some way? Okay, you probably can't bet on that. But the other two you certainly can bet on on prop bets over at mybookie.ag. MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. And Manish, I think we can agree. When the Jets were able to defy the odds makers last week, and if they're going to be able to do it again this week coming up against the New England Patriots, the key reason why will be the Jets' young signal caller, 22-year-old Sam Darnold. Now, you and I have both been very bullish on Sam Darnold, and I expected him to be a big upgrade over Luke Falk in this game. It would be impossible not to be a big upgrade over Luke Falk. But you didn't expect him to be this good out of the gate, did you? Because I know I didn't. He looked exactly like he did against Houston and Green Bay last year. It's like he never missed a beat. This was the guy that everybody said had the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He showed up big time, and he transformed the entire offense. It was like he lifted the entire team onto his shoulders. There was just a different feel, a different vibe. It was a different team completely. And this was the kind of performance that if Sam Darnold can do this on a regular basis, the Jets can be competitive with pretty much any team in the league, including the Patriots. I agree completely, and uh, you know you don't want to overreact because it's one game, but uh, he did look very much like the player we saw last December, you know, outside, of course, that final game in Foxborough. Uh, everything w- was was clicking in every imaginable way. Now, he wasn't always in rhythm, uh, and that's to say you know, it wasn't always a clean pocket, but he was making very quick decisions. Uh, whether that meant getting the ball out of his hands or whether that meant eluding pressure by sliding around in the pocket or even escaping the pocket before letting it fly. Uh, it's the Sam Darnold that, you know, I, I, I saw at USC, to be perfectly honest with you. It's the Sam Darnold that I saw enough of in college to think that he was going to be a difference maker in this league. And, uh, you know, uh, he did elevate the play of everyone around him, whether it was a player or his head coach. Now, I thought Adam Gase, uh, made some smart adjustments in his play calling, specifically passing on first down. Now, Darnold and, and Gates have subsequently said that a lot of that uh, passing on first down was predicated on how Dallas was playing defense. You know, they're a cover one team, a single high safety team for the most part. Uh, I'm not sure I necessarily buy that because the best way to attack the Eagles a week earlier uh, with Luke Falk would have been to attack those weak Eagles cornerbacks, and the Jets decided to run a lot on the early downs. And, you know, as we saw last week, uh, Kirk Cousins, or this past week, I should say, Kirk Cousins exposed that Eagle secondary. So uh, I'm not sure I buy the explanation so much, but I, I like the idea of being more aggressive on the early downs. They they dropped back 17 times, I believe, only passed the, uh, ran it nine times on first down. The results were, were evident. Darnold was 13 of 15 for over 200 yards and a touchdown, the long one to Robbie Anderson on that first down. They also got a DPI on the first down, whereas – uh, Le'Veon Bell only averaged 3.3 yards a carry on his nine runs on first down. So I like that m- aggressive mindset. It doesn't always have to be throwing it down the field on first down. A lot of those passes were, were quick passes, you know, four or five yard gains. But I think that's the right mentality and the right approach. So I do give credit to Adam Gase for that. The other element that I was particularly impressed upon, uh, impressed about uh, when it came to Gase was uh, play action, a lot of play action stuff, a, a few RPOs mixed in. And, uh, you know, I, I know that Gase could, could not do all of that with Luke Falk, but that doesn't absolve Gase from, you know, what happened these last three weeks because I thought he could have designed plays better to fit Falk's skill set. 
but uh, you know those three losses, uh, the first four losses as a team are you know they're, they're ancient history now if you're the Jets. So I, I, you know, I was impressed by a lot of different things uh, that the head coach did, but I was most impressed uh, to circling back to the original point. I was most impressed by Darnold because to me, from what I've seen from Dan, Sam Darnold the last three years, he is the coach whisperer. When we talk about Adam Gates and the quarterback <laughs> with, mm-hmm. I really do think if you just look at his history dating back to when he started at USC, he made Clay Helton into a, a respectable coach. Uh, Sam Darnold was 20-4 and four as a starter at USC. After he has left, USC went 5-7 and seven last year, and Clay Helton took away the play-calling duties from T. Martin a year ago. They're 3-3 three and three this year. The likelihood is that Helton and Martin are not going to be able to survive this season. Or if they do survive the season, I don't think they'll be back next year at USC. And even in the small sample size that we saw of Darnold last year, that final month that we just talked about, he made Jeremy Bates mm-hmm. look like a very good offensive coordinator. And I think you're going to see him do a similar thing with uh, Adam Gase. And I'm not saying Gase is, a, is a, you know a bystander on the sideline. As I mentioned, he has done some good things for, for Darnold. He has some good ideas. He is a smart guy. But I, I think uh, <laughs> I think you're fooling yourself if you don't think that Sam Darnold was going to be a difference maker in this league, no matter who was calling the plays. Uh, he just needed someone to guide him along. I think Adam Gase is smart enough to guide him along. But uh, again, if you look at the track record, and it, if I'm right about this, I think we're going to look back you know, five, ten years from now and call Sam Darnold the coach whisperer. I'm certainly skeptical of Adam Gase. I remain skeptical. I was very upset when he was hired. But I did say, and you and I talked about this last week, that I felt he deserved a fair chance and that Luke Falk wasn't going to give him one. Sam Darnold would. After watching this, would you agree that it's much more fair to evaluate Adam Gase going forward with Sam Darnold as quarterback? And it's not even necessarily Darnold himself, although obviously Gase was brought in here to work with Darnold. But you talked about Luke Falk and how Gase could have designed plays that were more tailored to his skill set. And I'm not trying to be mean to Luke Falk when I say this, but exactly what skill set was it that Adam Gase was going to be tailoring plays to? I didn't see anything out of Luke Falk, a guy that I liked out of college, just to be clear. I thought he had a chance to turn into a decent backup in the league. But he looked like a deer in headlights, and he couldn't see the field, and he was checking down even when receivers were open, and he was seeing ghosts out there, and he couldn't make pre-snap reads or hot reads or anything. I'm not sure what it was that Adam Gase was supposed to do that was going to accentuate, as you said, his skill set. I think that the Darnold situation this week and the way that he played and the way that Gase designed the plays for Darnold in the offense, that is what the Jets had in mind. And in fact, Connor Hughes had tweeted out, my goodness, this is the offense that the Jets were running in training camp. No kidding. That was the offense that was set up for Sam Darnold. But I don't think there was much he could have done with Luke Falk. Where am I going wrong? Is there something I'm missing there? Well, I'll say this about Luke Falk. He was one of the best quarterbacks in college in Mike Leach's spread system. Mm -hmm. Uh, A good coach adapts to the quarterback skill set, even an inexperienced quarterback who's in the early stage of his development. And I know that Luke Falk has the same amount of years in the NFL as Sam Darnold, but he's clearly, uh, you know, in an earlier stage in his development. I'll point to Sunday night when the Steelers won a football game with an undrafted rookie quarterback from Sanford, Devlin Hodges. Now, Devlin Hodges did not light the world on fire in that game, and their defense did play well. 
but he did win that game. He did throw a touchdown pass. Uh, he was fairly accurate. I don't remember what the completion rate was, but it was pretty high. Uh, and if you, uh, if you just look at what good co- coaches do, they simplify things and, you know, simplifies in quotes. Uh, it, it's more about tailoring things to what a quarterback who's inexperienced is used to and what was Luke Falk used to. He was used to playing in a spread scheme. Uh, he clearly didn't have an opportunity to do that, uh, in his limited time with, uh, with Adam Gase, uh, this year. So I, I just don't agree fundamentally with this idea that you can't win with, you can't win a game or you can't be competitive with Luke, Luke Falk. The evidence is all over the NFL that you can win games with guys that you think, you know, stink. <laughs> guys you're un- unfamiliar with, guys who don't have experience. Uh, I think the problem that Adam Gates ran into during this three week long period was that he did not alter his offense for Luke Falk. So when you look at the tape, when you look at these games when Falk was playing uh, outside of the Cleveland game, because he played well in Cleveland. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, in relief in the Cleveland game. He did not start that game, but he was 15 to 20. He had three plays of over 20 yards uh, through the air. Uh, you know, he looked like a competent player coming in relief. I, I think it was incumbent upon Gase to change the game plan for him. It cl- it, he clearly did not really change the game plan. He may have uh, he may have, you know, dumbed down certain things, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase. But if if you look at the tape and you say, hey, well, look, Robbie Anderson's open on this play, or this guy's open on that play, sure. I mean, can Sam Darnold see that? Can Sam Darnold hit that? Yes, he can. But if you're designing plays and guys are getting open and your quarterback is not seeing that, then you're not designing the right plays for that quarterback. That is the point that I'm trying to make. And again, if the if the Jets, you know, are lucky, uh, they won't have anyone other than Sam Darnold start the remainder of the season. But that again should not excuse the fact that the head coach did not properly prepare this quarterback. When you see examples all over the NFL, uh, you know, I mentioned Devlin Hodges. I know in the past I've mentioned Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen hasn't even lost the game yet. <laughs> you know, he's undefeated. He has a very similar uh, background in terms of experience that Luke Falk did. Uh, and then before Mason, before, uh, Mason Rudolph got hurt, he played reasonably well. Uh, there, there are examples. And, and obviously Gardner Minshew has, uh, kept the Jaguars competitive. Uh, you can't ignore those examples. You can excuse, you can't excuse the fact that the Jets were not competitive with Luke Falk, uh, because he's, you know, a guy who just isn't seeing anything. Well, who, how many people even heard of Devlin Hodges? I know I didn't before he started for the, to the Steelers the other day, and Gardner Minshew again. I I knew of him from college, but I would say the, the vast majority of NFL fans probably never heard of that guy. So my point is that if you're a, a good head coach, you have to adjust and adapt to your quarterback. You have to adjust your game plan. Clearly, the Jets didn't have uh, voluntarily didn't have time to properly prepare Luke Falk for the Eagle game, and you saw what happened. It was a disaster. Uh, so this notion that uh, you know Adam Gase should get a free pass. Because Luke Falk is a quarterback is ludicrous to me. I'll always believe that. Uh, and again, that doesn't change the fact that Sam Darnold is now the quarterback. I believed all along that uh, Adam Gase has some good ideas and some smart ideas. Uh, he's got a potentially dynamic player at the most position, the most important position in the NFL. And I believe that Sam Darnold was going to be a difference maker no matter who the coordinator was. Uh, I believe he would have been a difference maker if Jeremy Bates was still the offensive coordinator. And that's really undeniable because for everybody who praises Sam Darnold's last month as a rookie, uh, they have to 
you, you cannot say that Sam Darnold was on the upswing at the end of his rookie season and say that Jeremy Bates had no idea what he was doing. Um, you have to give him some credit, just like you have to give Adam Gase some credit right now uh, for what, from what we saw from Darnold on Sunday. Uh, the player makes the difference. I saw it in Green Bay for a decade. Uh, the Packers you know, had marginal teams at best. They always seem to be in it uh, for the last decade because of one player and one player only, and that's Aaron Rodgers. And uh, you know, I don't want to say that Sam Darnold is going to be Aaron Rodgers. That's really unfair. But I think that he's got the potential to uh, lift players around him as he continues to develop. And that's what's exciting. And that's really what Jets fans should be excited about. Uh, you know, They should not forget what happened when he wasn't the quarterback and what the coach did or did not do when he wasn't the quarterback. Uh, but the reality of the situation is that he is now back as the quarterback. And because of that, and because of what I think is an incredibly easy schedule after this Patriot game, I think the Jets can win a lot of games from this point forward. I would argue that it's not about whether or not you've heard of a quarterback because Gardner Minshew, whether you heard of him or not, was playing really, really well. I think he's just a lot better than people realize. I know he had a rough game this past week, but he's a much better quarterback than Luke Falk. And I think that you have to take the totality of the situation and put it in context. And the context here is that when you have a quarterback who can't make a hot read, who can't make a pre-snap read, who has zero awareness of the pocket, who checks down every opportunity he gets, there's really no offense you're going to be able to scheme for. People were talking about using more 12 and 13 personnel. Gase did that against the Eagles and it didn't work. They even used Jonathan Harrison as a fullback at one point. The offensive line is terrible, so I think that you have to put that together. I think it's the combination of Falk being as bad as he is and the offensive line being as bad as it is. That is what really doomed the Jets here when Luke Falk was the quarterback, and I think that's a combination that people like Kyle Allen and Gardner Minshew and the kid on the Steelers don't have to deal with because they have much better offensive lines. But thankfully, Manish... This is a debate that we don't have to have anymore because Sam Donald is back. Fingers crossed that he stays healthy the rest of the season. It looks like he's going to get some reinforcements here coming up on Monday night against the Patriots because, as I understand, it looks like his tight end, Chris Herndon, is going to be playing. I think he's going to try to practice this week. Uh, it's, it's premature to say he's going to play. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know how his hamstring feels. I don't think anybody knows how his hamstring feels other than himself. So they had the extra day uh, with the Monday Nighter against the Patriots. I would not rush it. Uh, do they need this win? Uh, would it be a boost? Obviously, it would. And he's a terrific player. He can uh, help uh, this offense in myriad ways. But uh, I wouldn't say that he's going to play on Sunday right now. Uh, you know, we'll see how practice unfolds. I would imagine that he would be limited. Uh, a little bit during the week. Uh, we'll see if he even practices on Wednesday. But uh, with hamstring injuries, just like Scott, we've talked about uh, C.J. Mosley's groin injury, those soft tissue things take a, a while, and they're unpredictable. And uh, you know, he didn't tear his hamstring, so he's, it's not to that level. But uh, you know, I would not rush this back. You've already missed you know, the first five games with Herndon, you know, four due to suspension, of course. Uh, the last thing you want to do is bring him back, rush him back, and then the, the injury uh, pops up again. He's dealing with a nagging hamstring for the remainder of the season. That, that to me, would not make sense. I don't believe Adam Gase is going to take that route. Um, you know, you take a conservative approach. You see how, kind of how he looks in practice, and 
if he can give you something on Monday night, you, you know, you make him active. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think you got to be careful because he, he is a, such an interesting piece to this puzzle for Adam Gase that if it means uh, holding him out for an additional week, then you do that because, again, there are some winnable games after uh, New England, and it would be great for Sam Darnold and Adam Gase if they had a healthy uh, Chris Herndon at, their, at his disposal. Uh, on the flip side, I don't think they're going to have their left tackle for a while. Uh, Adam Gase called Kelvin Beecham week to week with an ankle injury. You know, at that point, you'd, you'd assume it's either, you know, a really bad sprain or a high ankle. Uh, you know, I know that just watching the game over again, that, that, uh, Beecham played on that ankle issue for a bit. It's not as if he got hurt and left and never came back. Cause if you watch the tape, you know, he's got his left ankle, uh, you know, wrapped up. So at some point in that first half, he, you know, he got injured and tried to gut through it and didn't work. So I'll be interested to see, you know, who they replace him with. They, you know, they tried out Brandon Shell flipping from the right side to the left side for the first time in a game, I believe. And I thought that Shell did reasonably well given the circumstances. Now he did give up one sack and that was really on him, uh, not being overpowered by any stretch, but just making the, the wrong decision in terms of helping out the left guard, Alex Lewis on Sean Lee, rather than taking care of the guy on the outside. And the guy on the outside was Quinn and who ended up sacking Sam Darnold. So you know, that was a clear mistake by, by Brandon Shell. But for the rest of the game, you know, I, I didn't think he was a train wreck. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Manish, Beyond, Herndon, and Beecham, we're all waiting with bated breath to see what happens with C.J. Mosley. Steve McClendon came out of the game at one point. There are a couple of other injuries. Where do we stand with the rest of the players that are currently in limbo injury-wise? Well, McClendon has a hamstring strain. Uh, Ace did not seem overly concerned. Uh, he, I think he characterized him as day-to-day, and again with the extra day, uh, and being the fact that he's a nose tackle, 
I think he's. I think he'll play. Uh, you know, Barnes has had a setback during the week. I, I think he'll be fine. CJ Mosley obviously is the headliner. Uh, there's a good chance that he's going to practice this week, and uh, again with the extra time uh, for this particular game, I think there's a you know a pretty good chance that he's going to try to give it a go. That would be an incredible boost. Uh, but again, if he's not fully right, if he doesn't feel fully right by the weekend. Uh, he needs to communicate that with the trainers and with the coaches uh, because uh, he, he is coming to the finish line here in his rehab. The last thing you want to do is make an unnecessary uh, jump forward at the very end. You know, if, if it means sitting out another game, then it means sitting out another game. And th- does it stink for Greg Williams? Yeah, it probably would stink for Greg Williams to not have mostly for both Patriot games. But, uh, you know, the reality is, uh, much like Herndon, you need to make sure that he is completely right. Uh, his issue at this point has been changing direction and uh, kind of taking that first or second step of explosion back in coverage. Uh, that you know that has been you know the big holdup at this point. And as we've discussed the last few weeks, the fact that the groin injury happened on the upper part of his groin has really slowed down his rehab. So uh, just turning, pivoting, and exploding. Uh, in coverage has been uh, you know, his biggest hurdle. And if he can conquer that over the next uh, you know five five days or so, then I, I think you'll see him play against New England. One surprising release here after Herndon was activated was Frankie Louvu. There were people that thought he had a chance to be the starter heading into the season, and now he's gone. I guess he fell out of favor with the coaching staff? Yeah, it's interesting because he did not, uh, get the, a number of snaps in the past few weeks that he got early in the season, and as he uh, as he showed in, in training camp and in practice, they've got a lot of younger guys, uh, you know, along that front uh, that that they like. So, yeah, I would not be surprised if I believe he's still practice squad eligible. I have to check the, the you know to be sure, but uh, he'd be a guy I believe if he is eligible to be on the practice squad to, that they bring him back. Uh, they wanted to get Copeland in. Copeland didn't play much. I believe he only played, I want to say, seven snaps, about almost, about 10%, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, they want to kind of get him back. Uh, you know, a smart veteran guy. So, you know, Luke was a guy who's got some skills, got some talent, clearly did some decent things for, you know, for Todd Bowles last year as well. Uh, but, you know, you can't keep all these guys uh, at linebacker. You know, you got to make some quote-unquote tough decisions. And you know, obviously you want Brandon Copeland in there given, you know, his experience, uh, you know, with Greg Williams and just his, you know, success as a player a year ago. Speaking of not keeping all these guys, there was a report over the weekend by ESPN's Adam Schefter that the Jets may be sellers at the deadline and that the name that the Jets keep getting calls on is Leonard Williams. What have you heard about Leonard Williams and the possibility of him being traded? Any sense of whether or not the Jets are looking to deal him, and if so, what they'd be looking for? Schefter seemed to indicate that the Jets would want at least what the Jaguars got for Fowler last year, a third and a fifth, but probably more than that. Are there other players that the Jets could deal as well? What do you think here? Are the Jets going to be sellers around the deadline, even with the team's new sense of optimism around Sam Darnold? It's an interesting dynamic because, you know, I, I've always thought that Leonard Williams didn't uh, get the credit as a player uh, that he deserves, uh, largely because he was the number six pick in the draft. Uh, and that's, you know, there's a fair expectation there. When you're taking that high, you need to be a difference maker. Uh, that's the bottom line reality uh, of this business. Uh, but it's not as if he's a bust. And I think that 
I think that perhaps he gets labeled that by, by some people uh, too often. Uh, I don't agree with that notion at all. Uh, uh, the truth, of course, is that 17 sacks uh, in his five-year, four-plus-year career is not enough. Uh, he does affect the passer more than people realize. He is good against the run more than people realize. But, uh, you know, the, the, the financial aspect of this cannot be ignored. He's in the fifth-year option. He's making, what, $14 million a year. He will be an unrestricted free agent next year unless they put the franchise tag on him. I don't believe that's going to happen. So if you're Joe Douglas, you have to think about it this way. Yes, he's a productive player for my defense. Uh, is he going to sign a team-friendly extension? And I can't define what the parameters of a team-friendly extension are. But uh, if he were willing to uh, sign something that the Jets were ha- happy with, I think the Jets would do it. But, I mean, and that's that's almost like a low ball type of situation. I don't know if you're Leonard Williams if you want to do that, unless you really like playing here. And I know that he does, and you know he's expressed to me in the past and others, I'm sure, that uh, you know he'd like to remain here. But uh, if you're a new general manager and you you want to try to assess your roster, and that's really what Joe Douglas is doing right now, you know, outside of a few. A relatively minor moves. Uh, you know, the Khalil move is probably the biggest move that he made uh, from a financial investment standpoint, and that's only for the remainder of this season. Uh, if you're Douglas, you have to think: uh, if we're not going to bring this guy back, can we get something for him? And yes, you know, a compensatory 2021 third round pick likely would be what they would get if Leonard Williams walked in free agency. It's not guaranteed, but that that seems to be uh, what the return would be. Now, if you're Douglas, you want something for 2020. You don't want something for 2021 necessarily. So trading him uh, before the October 29 trade deadline, in theory, could get you something uh, for next year, multiple picks. Uh, my understanding is you know, exactly what ESPN had reported, which is that uh, they're not, you know, quote-unquote, shopping him. They're also not telling teams that we're not trading him. Uh, it does put Adam Gase and Greg Williams in, in a bit of a precarious position if they do believe they, they can rattle off some wins here and make a legitimate playoff push, which sounds a little funny because they're only one in four and they're playing the Patriots this week with the potential of falling to one in five. You know, the odds are very slim that you're going to make the playoffs. But, you know, as I said now for a while, uh, you know, the, the Jaguars on the road, is, it's not an easy game. Uh, but certainly winnable. But then you have two games against the Dolphins, the Giants, the Redskins, the Raiders, the Bengals, uh, and, and the Steelers later. I mean, it's, it's Cupcake City. So you can win a lot of games. And it, and if Darnold plays as well as he did the other day, who's to say they can't win most of those games? So if you're if you're trying as a coach to you know figure out a path to the playoffs, do you really want to get rid of Leonard Williams? I would say no. I would say I would say that they would not be on board with that. But you know, Joe Douglas makes those decisions. He needs to have a big picture view of the organization. And if he could get a, a three and a and a five, uh, a three and a four uh, for 2020, you know, I think you'd seriously have to consider that. Uh, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. We do have two weeks before the deadline. Uh, I don't believe, unless someone knocks uh, the Jets' socks off, I don't believe that Leonard Williams would be traded. You know, today or tomorrow, you know, I probably jinxed myself, and he will get traded today or tomorrow. But uh, I think that the reality is that these deals don't get done until very close to the deadline. And uh, if they can get uh, certainly at least the three, I mean, it would be it would be a, a massive mistake if they didn't get at least a third round pick for twenty twenty uh, in a deal for Leonard Williams. Uh, I think if they can get a three and a, and a day three pick, like uh, a fifth rounder, uh, even though ideally they'd like more, 
a three and a five for 2020, I think would be enough for Joe Douglas to make the move uh, if he thinks that he can't bring back Leonard Williams on a deal that makes sense for the team. Uh, and, and again, from a coach's perspective, uh, I think uh, they want to keep as many good players in-house for 2019 as possible. So, you know, it'd be a tough pill to swallow for them to get rid of Leonard Williams. And on top of that, I'm not really sure who besides Leonard Williams would even bring you any kind of value because the report from Schefter is that the Jets are going to be sellers at the deadline or are expected to be sellers at the deadline. Beyond Leonard Williams, I don't see who other teams would be calling about. Ralph Vecchiano from SNY mentioned a couple of names. He said Colecchio, Semele, and Tremaine Johnson. Let's be honest, nobody on earth is calling and offering anything for those two guys. In fact, you'd probably have to offer something for other teams to take them off of your hands at this point. The other name was Le'Veon Bell. I don't see how that happens because Le'Veon Bell would require a massive cap hit because of all the guaranteed money that was just paid to him. So I don't see why you would trade Le'Veon Bell, take that massive cap hit, and then get, what, maybe a mid-round pick. So I look around this roster, and I don't really see anybody that it would make a lot of sense to trade with the possible exception of Leonard Williams. Is there anybody I'm missing here, Manish? Are there guys that teams might call about that the Jets might be able to get some value for that they would consider? Consider moving because I'm just not seeing it. Besides Leonard Williams, well, the guys you mentioned, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, nobody's trading for an injured Coletti Assembly. Um, that's, I mean, I, I don't know what you could. I mean, unless the Jets want to give up, uh, you got to pay the guy. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, maybe on Bell is an interesting one uh, because financially, you're 100 percent right. It makes no sense. Uh, he's also the the engine of this offense. You know, excluding Darnold, of course, a guy that. Uh, <laughs> that ironically Adam Gates did not want, but has now gone all in on because he realizes that the guy's a, he's a real player. So I don't know what kind of message that would send to the locker room. If you traded away Le'Veon Bell after what Le'Veon Bell has represented for this team, this off season, uh, you know, he's not a lifelong jet by any stretch of the imagination, but he is really, uh, you know, he's really been the, the engine again, the heart of this offense this year. Uh, I, I, I don't think it makes financial sense. So from a Joe Douglas perspective, yeah, getting him off the books would be great. Uh, you know, Joe Douglas would not have paid that kind of money for Le'Veon Bell. I can tell you that with a hundred percent certainty. So, um, you know, that would be ideal, but because of the cap hit, I'm not sure it makes much sense given what kind of return, uh, you would, you would get, you get back. Uh, uh, Tremaine Johnson obviously is not happening. As you said, the Jets would probably have to, <laughs> the Jets would probably have to give away a premium pick and, uh, Tremaine Johnson to another team. So, uh, that, that's not going to happen. Uh, what, these are a couple of interesting guys. Okay. So Jordan Jenkins, final year of his deal. The Jets could get a premium pick for him, a third round pick for him. Uh, they would do in the second, but mm-hmm. are they going to get a, a third round pick for Jordan Jenkins? No, they're, they're not. Uh, could they get a fifth round pick for Jordan Jenkins? Uh, perhaps would that be enough for Joe Douglas? You know, he's a player. I think if the price was right, the Jets would be willing to move. Uh, he's a player the coaches really like, but, uh, you know, if you can get some draft capital that you think, uh, you can use and turn into a starter moving forward for Jenkins, then I think the Jets could do that. And I also see a scenario where the Jets could sign Jenkins to a team friendly extension. Uh, but again, team friendly is in the, is a relative term. I, I don't know what Jenkins would be willing to take. I don't know what, what makes sense for, from the Jets' perspective in terms of how much money. So he's an interesting guy because I, I could see him signing an extension. I could see him being traded, either one. Uh, Marcus May. Now, 
I don't believe he's going to get traded, but this is something to consider. When Adam Gase got the job, he did not want Marcus May. He was willing to trade Marcus May for the right price. Uh, part of that was because of his injury history. Uh, Marcus May has played well recently. I thought he played his best game the other night. And uh, I, I would not move him. But if you're asking me about, you know, a guy that you know nobody's really talking about that has the potential to be moved, you know, I would say May and then Jordan Jenkins. Robbie Anderson's another player. He's, however, going to be a unrestricted free agent next year. So I don't know what the return for Robbie Anderson is. Uh, and again, you know, when we're talking about Robbie Anderson, Le'Veon Bell, these are integral pieces for Adam Gates right now. Um, I don't know how willing he would be to part with them. Now, he does not have control of the 53-man roster, but you know, you'd be naive to, to think that he doesn't have say. And when when Gates was asked about Leonard Williams, now, he acted as if he didn't know and no one had discussed anything with him. Uh, you know, okay, that's coach speak. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to be pretty naive not to think that he doesn't know exactly what's happening in terms of what teams are inquiring about, uh, you know, what the Jets and Joe Douglas are willing to part with. Uh, he knows all of that stuff. He's in, in all of those discussions. He's fully aware of who he might want to part with and what it might take. So, uh, you know, I, I think it, you know, in an ideal world, and in, in, I, I guess I, I guess I should say in Joe Douglas's ideal world, uh, he'd love to be a seller and, and get rid of uh, some of these pieces that he wouldn't have brought in if he were the GM at the start of free agency. It's just a matter of how comfortable is he in the in the return in the price. Uh, you know, that's only something that he can answer. Uh, I don't definitively know, you know what it would take. You know to trade some of these players, but I do know that there's enough players that he'd be willing to move. Uh, the other guy, you know, I may, maybe I should have said this guy first. Uh, it, it's not going to happen because of the contract and the guaranteed money and the hit that the Jets would take. But another guy that the Jets would not have signed uh, if Joe Douglas were the general manager uh, at the start of this offseason is C.J. Mosley. Now, C.J. Mosley's been hurt, so we don't really know what C.J. Mosley can do in this off, uh, in this defense. Uh, he's clearly a guy that the coaches love and would absolutely hate getting rid of, but uh, the Jets would not have paid $17 million a year for an inside linebacker if Joe Douglas was a general manager. Uh, uh, but again, because of the contract situation, I don't remember the numbers offhand in terms of what the dead money would be, but because of that, it doesn't make sense. But just in a vacuum, you know, if the money did not matter uh, in terms of cap hit moving forward, if, if the Jets could have some kind of relatively easy escape hatch and uh, get back, recoup the money that they paid uh, C.J. Mosley for as great of a player as I believe that he is, I think the Jets would move him. But that's not practical, just, you know, given all these other circumstances. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Hey, Manish, story that just broke, and I thought this was interesting because this feels like typical Bill Belichick, New England gamesmanship. 
The Patriots have just signed Eric Tomlinson. I can't imagine that they're doing it because they think he's going to make any kind of real impact. They're trying to get some intel on the Jets, huh? Uh, I guess. Uh, they had you know, some injury issues at the tight end spot. Uh, it is interesting because typically the Patriots have not done that. Uh, they probably didn't feel like they needed any extra intel. Uh, I'm not sure how much Eric Tomlinson will provide. Uh, they are banged up, uh, you know, at that spot. So maybe they think Tomlinson can help out as a blocker. But uh, you know, if they're looking for any kind of trade secrets from Eric Tomlinson. I think they're going to be disappointed. I hope they're not counting on him to do much in terms of catching the football, because as we've seen, Manish, it's not really his strong suit. One last thing I want to bring up with you, Manish, before we head out. Chiefs linebacker Darren Lee on Sunday allowed 69 yards on seven targets. All seven were caught. It's about as bad a performance as you can get. So I just wanted to throw that back out there at you. You still on that? The Jets could use Darren <laughs> Lee for depth purposes bandwagon? Well, look, this is how I'll respond to that question, Scott. <laughs> uh, Blake Cashman had a pivotal DPI. Uh, against Zeke Elliott in the waning moments last weekend, that could have cost the Jets the victory. That's a, that, that, that's what I'll say. It's not as if the Jets' current linebacking crew is doing particularly well in pass coverage. Uh, and, and again, as I said a week ago, I was watching the Chiefs game. It popped into my head. I'm not saying that Darren Lee would be any kind of cure-all. Uh, but you never know with Greg Williams. Greg Williams has done some interesting things. I know he didn't want uh, led uh, Darren Lee to be a part of this team, so uh, that's part of the reason why he was traded. But if he were on this team, you know, don't underestimate what Greg Williams could do uh, for a guy that you know maybe people don't believe in, or a guy that people don't know much about. Because uh, you know, just to circle back to this defense, uh, it, Greg Williams has done some interesting things with players that uh, you know, are inexperienced or maybe not uh, effective in the past. Kyle Phillips, the undrafted. Uh, rookie out of Tennessee has been playing more and more. Uh, we saw last week, this past game against the, uh, the Cowboys, I should say, Foley Fadakasi, uh, played his most snaps of the season. I thought he did a really nice job. Uh, he stopped, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, inside the, the five yard line on a key play. Uh, so, you know, I would not put anything past Greg Williams. He's not, you know, some kind of super genius, but he is an extremely, smart defensive coordinator who knows how to put players, uh, lesser known guys, or maybe guys who have underachieved in the past in spots where they can be successful. So I'm not saying Darren Lee would have you know, been some kind of stud in this scheme, but uh, you know, I have confidence that Williams would have put him in a position to, to help out in, you know, in certain areas, small packages perhaps, but uh, uh, yeah, it hasn't been a good start for Leonard Wood, uh, for Darren Lee, I should say in Kansas city, but, Again, the, the the Jets linebackers, uh, inexperienced guys specifically, have had you know their fair share of issues in coverage as well. Manish, you were Nostradamus last week. You had it almost perfect as far as what the result of the game was going to be with the Jets winning a close one. The Jets now going up against Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the New England Patriots, although it is at home Monday night. At MetLife Stadium, let's see if you can continue your streak. How do you think this game is going to play out? Well, the Jets' defense has really looked like a different group since spotting the Patriots' 21 points uh, early in Week Three in Foxborough. It was 20 to nothing. I want to say a minute and a half into the second quarter, and from that point forward, 
for the remainder of that game, uh, and even if you take out the, the Jared Stidham portion of that game, uh, when Brady was in there, uh, they really did a nice job stopping the Patriot offense. Uh, I thought they did a solid job holding uh, the Eagles to 17 points, and uh, I thought they did a really good job against Dallas outside of that final drive in which, uh, you know, it was a flag fest. But they've, they've looked like a different unit than we saw, uh, you know, in the Cleveland game. So I, I think they can get a, do a good job against Tom Brady. Uh, those guys are struggling on offense. They've got a bunch of injuries. They actually only played one personnel grouping in the second half of their game uh, on Thursday night against the Giants because they were so banged up. Uh, you know, Tom Brady is a great player. I don't think it's a great offense. I'm curious to find out if Josh Gordon, who uh, hurt his knee in that Thursday night game against the Giants, is going to be back. Uh, I don't know if Philip Dorsett, who's dealing with a hamstring injury, is going to be back. So, uh, you know, this isn't you know, a world-beating type of offense. Uh, I do think that uh, it's going to be a, str- a struggle in many respects against the Jet defense. Uh, the big question, of course, is can Sam Darnold uh, generate some kind of, uh, you know, real offense against uh, arguably the best defense in the NFL. If you look at, however, the quarterback that the Patriots have faced to this point, uh, the best guy on the ledger has been Josh Allen. Uh, he didn't play particularly well against New England. You know, there's a bunch of scrubs, to be honest with you, that, that they faced uh, other than Josh Allen. So I think that Sam Darnold will be the best quarterback that this Patriot defense has faced to date. Uh, I'll be curious to see how many shots they take at, at Stephon Gilmore. And they, they really kind of shied away from him when Luke Falk was the quarterback. But if Stephon Gilmore, who has had a great track record against Robbie Anderson, uh, is on Anderson again, and I would think that he would be, uh, will Adam Gase attack and go after Stephon Gilmore? Or I guess more to the point, will he have faith in Robbie Anderson to beat uh, Stefan Gilmore in one-on-one opportunities. That's what's going to be fascinating to me because Adam Gase's track record has been uh, to attack the opponent's weaknesses. And clearly Gilmore is uh, the, the greatest strength of this defense. Uh, so I, you know, could this be uh, one of those games where, where uh, Gase kind of breaks you know, his, his trend and, and actually tries to, have faith in his best guy beating the other team's best guy, and we'll see. They, they had no success running the ball with Le'Veon Bell, or limited success, I should say, the first time around. Uh, it's always difficult to beat uh, uh, the same team in your division in the same year twice. It's doubly difficult when you're doing it within a one-month period. So, uh, And it's probably triply difficult, if that's a word, uh, to, to win uh, against an opponent on the road on Monday night. Uh, after you've, you've beaten them, you know, a few weeks earlier. So I'm not saying the Jets are going to win. I haven't formulated a, a, an opinion yet, uh, only because I kind of want to see how some of these injuries play out on both sides. But, uh, you know, the fact that it, I believe the early line is 10 points, that to me is an insult to the Jets. I, I think the Jets, I can, I can tell you now that I'm going to pick the Jets with the points. Now, whether they can win the game or not remains to be seen, but, you know, Sam Darnold plays the way he did, and, and it's going to be a lot different going up against the Bill Belichick defense. But if he plays the way he did the other day, then I absolutely believe that the Jets have a, a real chance of stealing this one. And there you heard it from Manish. He thinks the Jets have a chance to be competitive in this game, waiting to see how the injury situation plays out. 
but definitely thinks that the Jets are going to cover the spread and may very well give the Patriots a run for their money. We're going to see if that's what comes to fruition after the game on Monday night. Manish, thanks so much for hopping on. As always, really appreciate it. What do you got cooking right now over at the Daily News? Uh, well, you know, it's Patriots week, so everything's on the table. I might have to address my miscalculation uh, when it comes to Tom Brady being done. A miscalculation that is not on just you. I think a lot of people have counted Tom Brady out a million times, and I'm now living by the credo of Tom Brady is done when Tom Brady says he's done, because at this point, at 42 years old, he continues to defy all explanations of what we should expect out of a quarterback and how long he can be elite. So until I see it with my own eyes, I am going to continue to believe that Tom Brady can dominate the way that he has for the better part of the last two decades. Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter. Read him in the Daily News. He's going to have plenty, as he just said, for Jets Patriots Week. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.